Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. super excited today. Uh, Today we have Dr. Nicole LaPera. Most of you guys know her as the holistic psychologist. Um, And Nicole was trained in clinical psychology at Cornell and at the New School for Social Research and studied at the Philadelphia School of Psychoanalysis. She addresses the connection between the mind, body, and soul, incorporating overall lifestyle and psychological wellness practices. She is the creator of the Self-Healers Movement, where people from around the world are joining together in community to take healing into their own hands. Her first book, so excited, How to Do the Work, is currently in pre-order with a release date of March 2021. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being here. Vanessa and I started this podcast really just because we love to sort of geek out on these conversations and talking about the work that we do. And we wanted to sort of, you know, bring some of these conversations to everyone else who might not sit around all day talking about therapy (laughs) and psychology. And we also were just really excited about the idea of bringing some of the people whose work that we really love and respect onto the podcast. And, you know, you are certainly one of those people for us. So we are so excited to have this opportunity to talk to you. Um, And I'd love just for any of our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with your work, I feel like most people are at this point. Um, But if you could just give us a little bit of a background with your journey um, around the work that you do and how it sort of has transitioned into what it is today. I'm, I'm actually smiling really big right now hearing you say that tonight because I am such a nerd. I could literally yeah. talk about this all of the time. So when I connect with other practitioners who can nerd out, I am thrilled. So please, by all means, thank, thank you both. The way I came into working holistically the way that I do now was really informed by my own journey. Uh, Mm -hmm. as a human who had a very intimate relationship, as many of us do, with the experience of anxiety, really pervasive, you know, affecting me in in all of the areas of my life for as long as I can Mm -hmm. remember, Uh, intuitively really being attracted to the mind uh, for as long, again, as I can remember. I was that little adolescent who could get their hands on any book about people, and I would read all of them. And looking back, I now understand, I think for a very long time, I had a sense that I was, you know, I think as a lot of us do, I'm not, I'm not personalizing myself in any way that I was, you know, a bit different. And I think in my, in my seeking to understand the world around me and what made people act, think, you know, behave differently than I did, I was very fascinated with the mind. So Mm -hmm. before I knew it, and whenever that time of life happens where people start to say, what are you going to be when you grow older? you would have heard me talking about wanting to be a psychologist. I think a lot of our own journeys, you know, our, our, our struggles, our healings and all that comes between really does inform what we end up wanting to be when we grow older. And mm. in a lot of ways, I'm that person. And then it really was a couple years, you know, several years into my practice after extensive experiences, you know, training in all different modalities with all different populations, having the private practice where I was really working, what I believe was an integrated model. And Mm. several years in, I was seeing a really glaring pattern um, that I was able to identify not only in myself, but now the many clients that I was seeing week after week, year after year. 
And it was a pattern of what I now call stuckness. It was really an inability to create change. Mm-hmm. Um, this accompanied, of course, at the same time as often is the case with my own, what I now reference as dark night of the soul, where my conditioning, my symptoms of anxiety and disconnection were really starting to become you know, um, distressing for me. Mm-hmm. And so through my own you know, kind of diving in first to try to understand why I was not creating change in my life. And then obviously by extension, why I was not helpful in helping other people create change in their lives. I came to the theory of, you know, the holistic human, the fact Mm -hmm. that we are there, we are an integrated, um, you know, kind of uh, entity of a mind, a body, a soul. And there's a lot of ways that many of us are living imbalanced Mm -hmm. in one or all of those areas that are contributing to our stock. So what holistic psychology now means for me, it's, it's an evolution and what I hope is a shift in the whole paradigm of mm-hmm. mental wellness, mm-hmm. where we do move to this new model of being, one that actually allows for a conversation, which I hope to be having each and every day with my community of self-healers, which is a conversation focused for the first time around wellness, mm-hmm. around the ability to actually finally, for the first time, create change. I love it. You know, Vanessa and I are both... Um before we became therapists, we're yoga teachers and mindfulness teachers for a lot of years. And we went to Pacifica, which is a school that is um, a depth psychological model. And so, you know, it's You're shaking your head with a big smile. (laughs) You're like, I'm well aware. That makes my heart happy. Yeah, we're like, aw. (laughs) Yeah. And we sort of learn in school that so many of the more traditional clinical models really sort of frown upon the more... um, I would say person-centered, curious model of doing the work, yes, and versus sort of illness-centered medical model, and mm-hmm. that you know it's it's a little bit it's challenging sometimes to the more traditional model to have this approach that we were taught to sort of approach working with people, and I think that it's been so refreshing to watch your work because I feel like it is so the whole person centered, the, um, how do we live well versus sort of like treating like the, the pathology that we feel like we're faced with in this, you know, and that, and that when we sort of pathologize people, we're not seeing the whole person. Right. You know, I think in the, in terms of the old model, whether you come through the traditional program, so Pacifica, I had a very big smile and was, you know, waving my head because there are very beautifully um, integrated programs that are occurring out there. So just Mm -hmm. to kind of, um, clarify what I'm talking about, the really traditional models, like you said, right, the CBT-based programs where we almost lop the mind off and say, okay, we're just going to deal with the brain, the mind part of things, and not the body. I mm. think those are limited. I understand the limitations because mm. that old system was built in a, in a theory of science that's called genetic determinism, which really just means that the genetic, the card deck that we were birthed with, the genes that we have upon being born, essentially, were destined to get whatever it is, right? For mm-hmm. me, the way I understood my anxiety was really, you know, it, it was, it, I saw it in my mom, my sister, pretty much my whole family. So I assumed I had that genetic chip by extension, right, this model told me that there was no curing this. So my only conversation was how do I manage, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously our tools of management historically were, you know, get the support, learn some skills, how to manage our emotions, create healthier relationships with the therapist and or 
obtain medication for the genetic imbalance. I did all of the things in all of the different ways of being in therapy, including laying on a couch. Mm -hmm. The new paradigm, and this is why I believe it's a structural shift that's happening that can be very threatening for a lot of us as humans, we all fear change. We all fear something mm -hmm. new. So what we're now saying is that's not necessarily true. While we all have that genetic deck of cards, the choices we're making, the environments we're born into, those are actually affecting or playing a role to affect whether or not those genes express or not. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us train in the old model down to our, you know, at our core, we don't believe change is possible. And I was that person mm -hmm. for a very long while. Like I said, I didn't think I had the opportunity to create you know, the symptom relief that I now have with my anxiety mm. in particular, the new way of being in relationships, right? I didn't think those conversations were possible because remember it was management. So I say that to say um, when paradigms shift and new belief systems, you know, are being integrated, it's challenging. It brings up a lot for a lot of us. And I think that it's necessary, put it that way, because at least it now allows us to take the control back in the mm. very small ways that we can mm. to empower ourselves with choice, even as our environments shift and change outside of us to begin to re-empower ourselves with the small choices that we can make to create change and wellness, regardless of how long the shifts are happening outside, if that makes sense. Mm. God. Yeah. You know, that's so powerful because I feel like in my experience with clients, I was feeling so much of what you were saying, right? I think the like most common presenting issue we all know is anxiety. And it sort mm -hmm. of is like an accepted fact that I struggle with anxiety. I will always struggle with anxiety. But as we sort of dug a little deeper, I find that with almost every client, um, if we're curious about like, what is this anxiety about, right? Like, what is this anxiety here for um, maybe to get me to tune into, um, there's always something there, right? Like there was always some sort of a trauma response. There was always some sort of something that happened that's like, of course you're experiencing anxiety. How could you not be? But I mm -hmm. think, you know, sort of our Western model, a lot of times of whatever it is, is just like, shoot it down, make it go away, which doesn't leave a lot of room for being curious about like why it's here, right? I believe very similarly that all of our symptoms are messengers. All of our right. patterned ways of being are, are messengers. We are very adaptive and you know, the events that happen to us, I was actually just on a podcast a couple of days ago and I really loved it because the host was talking and describing it like an onion, right? Where we mm -hmm. have these wounds that happen to us and we accumulate them over time and then we adapt and then we adapt and then we create this avatar self where we limit and we, right? And then before we know it, we do have this, you know, kind of onion of symptomology that is coming from a place. So mm -hmm. holistic is kind of a, a two-part definition that I now kind of conceptualize it to mean, which is mind, body, soul, and the connectedness, understanding, like I said earlier, right, an imbalance in one or all of those areas can produce some of the symptomology, with the second part of the definition being, just what you're saying today, very beautifully, diving down, exploring, what are those deeper imbalances, what are those maybe earliest experiences and continued adaptations and or roles and persona and avatars that we're playing, right? that are actually causing. So let's hammer mm -hmm. down instead of, I used to call it the Band-Aid model. Mm -hmm. And I come from a long lineage, my family, us Laperas, as we like to kind of collectivize ourselves, 
we love the yeah. band-aid approach. We love to manage symptoms. I could tell you, and I had my, my arsenal of my headache medicine, my bellyache medicine, my this medicine. And when that symptom came, I just squashed yeah. it down instead of pulling back and saying, hmm, what are what might be driving these consistent? This isn't every now and again I have a headache, I take aspirin, right? I was on like my headache medicine every day. Okay, what's right. causing consistent daily headaches, right? So just to be clear, everything I am talking about is not contextual, the one-time thing this happened. This is when it becomes consistent, chronic, mm -hmm. and again, accumulates like that onion. And then yes, our, our job is to understand our interconnectedness and begin to hammer down and for each of us explore those underlying imbalances so that we can create change moving forward. Yeah, I always, you know, it's funny that you say the, the Band-Aid because that's the kind of image I always use with clients when I talk about like cognitive behavioral specifically, I always say, look, I, I call it a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. And sometimes you need the bandage, right? Because the bullet hole is bleeding and it needs to be bandaged because sometimes people are not ready yeah. to go to that place. Sometimes, you know, clients will come in and they don't want to go to the depths yet. And that's okay. Like part of our job, right, is to meet them where they're at. And so sometimes you need a Band-Aid. We got to stop the bleeding. And then once the bleeding stops, Maybe we can pull the Band-Aid back and then we can go in and heal the actual wound itself, right? And I think that's the beautiful way or approach rather that you take, which is like, how do you blend kind of all of this stuff together? And I feel like Danae and I do something similar, right? It's like our skills or our training is in depth psychology, which is all about getting in and getting into the wound. And also how do I weave in, like for me, my background in mindfulness-based cognitive psychology is that helpful band-aid that can be woven in with the depth stuff. Love that. What I would tell my clients is, you know, the, the approach that we're going to take is a foundational one, understanding that most people, most clients had heard about inner child work or reparenting work. Uh, many of them knowing the wounding that they want to work on or how it's affecting their, their current day to day. However, you know, the foundational piece of the work we're really doing focused on two major parts. The first is a foundational tool with anyone that, you know, I'm always talking about on my Instagram or really anywhere you're hearing me talk, which is about building a foundational practice of consciousness, mm -hmm. understanding that most of these patternings, the reason that we're repeating the wounding of our past is because we're operating out of a different part of our, our mind, our subconscious, again, something that wasn't really spoken about in school and training, um, you know, thinking about the cognitive behavioral framework as well, that's really working on the prefrontal cortex right. or our conscious mind. And we now understand that the more powerful mind that many of us are locked in, in terms of that Groundhog's Day, is our subconscious. So I say all that to say, foundation of consciousness and learning how to be conscious so that we can create new choices for change is going to be a foundational journey for all of us. So before we talk about inner child work and the deeper stuff, like you're saying, the scabbing, the wounding, the stuff that hurts, we're talking first about how to be conscious. Mm -hmm. And for many of us, that's a journey in and of itself. Hand in hand with that is the reality that a lot of us are living in a dysregulated body. So that physical aspect of our being. And when I say body, we have to acknowledge a really powerful aspect of our body, which has an evolutionary drive which is our nervous system mm -hmm. that again, operates outside of our awareness. So a lot of us are imbalanced living in what I call a trauma brain, trauma body connection, remembering the two are interconnected, right? living in that dysregulated physiological state that's not allowing us to do the deeper depth work. So the mm -hmm. foundations are a foundation of consciousness allows me to see myself a bit clearer, create choice and change, 
hand in hand with those of us who are in that dysregulated nervous system, beginning to rebuild that physiological balance before we can even dive into the scabs. Mm -hmm. We need those balances in place so that we can do that deeper work. So I thank you for bringing that up. If I know what hurts, I want to fix it, right? Heal that hurt, pick it off real quick, just get through it so I can what? Feel better. Mm. Of course, we all want to feel better. However, and this is, I think, where a lot of us love to hate those of us healers who speak these words, right? The journey of, the process (laughs) of, no quick fix model, doesn't Mm. end tomorrow, right? This is why it becomes the journey of healing, building in those foundations, creating the safety for many of us that we don't have in our body so that as we dip our toe in, right, as we widen the window into those more distressing aspects of our past experiences that color our present, we have the confidence and the security to do that and the safety, really. Mm. Yeah, that's so on point. Yeah, you know, I feel like you just gave me a little clarity around something that I've been struggling with um, more recently, which is that, you know, I kind of come from the medical model of addiction and working with clients. And I worked, you know, alongside like 12 step work for a really long time. And I'm really starting to feel like I'm struggling with some of the limitations of that model. And that like, I feel like people can spend an entire lifetime really talking about themselves in such limiting ways, really sort Mm -hmm. of, I think, holding themselves Mm -hmm. back from Mm -hmm. progressing on their journey. Um, and I, I sort of am feeling like maybe what we need sometimes to come into the state of consciousness is some of these more CBT models, like what I think 12-step is a pretty CBT-based model, but that there's a certain point where it is limiting in sort of like our leveling up and our next step of evolution. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm making sense, but that's yeah. just what is coming up for me as I hear you talk mm-hmm. about that. Like that's the bridge between that that state of unconsciousness and coming into like some sort of awareness, but then there's a point where like a deeper integration needs to occur. Mm-hmm. Language and the way we conceptualize ourselves and speak about it from even the thoughts and the way we narrate in our head can be for many of us, the difference between limitation and expansion. And mm-hmm. we are narrating our experiences. We are narrating our beliefs about ourselves and what we're capable of, many of us beyond our awareness, even all day long. So I agree with you. I've seen very similar in terms of substance, you know, using field, anything really, any way we think and conceptualize ourselves. Like I said, if you want to pull back macro global and think about it in terms of language um, and belief system that we can really affect change in either direction, right? Limiting and or expanding. Yeah, I love that. I feel like, you know, you sort of spoke to a question that I wanted to ask you a little bit already, but I feel like there's just like, obviously I deeply resonate with your work and I've sort of noticed in some of your writing, you've spoken to, you know, I'm going to like hold my breath and press send with this post, knowing that there's going to be a lot of resistance. And I've even sort of, um, Vanessa and I classes in something called the TAT lab. And I've sort of referenced some of your posts that I really, really agree with what you're saying and just been fascinated to see, oh my goodness, the like the level of resistance within our field. How people are so activated by Mm -hmm. some of the things that you're saying. And so I felt like I wanted to hear your thoughts on like, why do you think it is so difficult for us to just like hold like that we can have different perspectives, right? Like that can be your method of approaching this work and ours can be a little bit different and that's okay. 
speaking speaking from my own personal experience, I mean, and even in moments now, I was going to reference early on, quote unquote, in my healing journey that this applies now, there's still things I don't like to hear. There's right. still things that are hard for me, whether or not it's being a statement about me, it doesn't even have to be, it could be someone just sharing something, their own mm -hmm. belief, you know, like we're talking about now, that are hard. Um, and it's because somewhere deep down, we have assigned a meaning, most of us, mm -hmm. that what they're saying has some reflection mm -hmm. on us, right, is carries a meaning for mm -hmm. us, you know, and I'm really simplifying as I often do. So I know that, you know, there might be this one minutia instance where you know, more generally though, when we really mm -hmm. understand and question down, like we were talking about earlier, the reason we react is because a lot of us, assign, like we own our beliefs. We take mm -hmm. full right. ownership. Our beliefs become a part of who we are. So when the person across from me is, is contending or is dare I even say believing in opposition of, Yes. Now that that meaning of self, mm -hmm. right? And it could be different. They're saying they're better than me. I'm less than that. Whatever it is, you know, the meanings really could be really personalized and unique to each of us. Um, but it's usually some version of that. So I was speaking from my own personal experience. And along the way, you know, when people share things, I have, I have, and I still have a hard time hearing things, whether or not they're about me or not mm -hmm. for a similar reason. Cause somewhere mm -hmm. in my psyche, I've attached some version of a meaning to what's being discussed or, or talked about, or I'm imagining there, we love to imagine mm -hmm. what people mean intentions, mm -hmm. you know, and all of this again is happening in our internal world. And it's going to be, is going to really reflect or affect, I should say, what happens next, right? So holding space means I have to allow that separation where, you know, Vanessa Denae, you can say anything, you know, express any belief. And if I truly understand that that doesn't mean anything about who I am, even if I choose to be your friend, dare I say, and you mm -hmm. believe something different than me, mm -hmm. we can still maybe have common ground in other areas. Friendships are very multidimensional based on different things, right? So Again, unless I can hold space for that, though, then I might try and argue, make you wrong. That's what a lot of us do, prove our point, enter into a debate, et cetera. Well, I think it's what, what you're bringing up for me while we're talking about this is I have such a strong, strong stance against people who are in the healing world who haven't done their own work. Um, and with Pacifica, right, we had a mandatory 50 hours of personal therapy in order to graduate that we had to have signed off on. And we're like one of the last schools in California that actually still has that as part of your requirement. And actually starting in 2021, the California licensing for marriage and family therapists has gone away with that. It used to be part of the, part of the program. And so my biggest thing is if you are sitting across from somebody and you haven't done your own work to be able to see, you know, where are your active do you have an idea of your sense of self? Have you worked on non-attachment to that sense of self? All of these things, right? I mean, I could go on and on. Your projections are going to be so big in that room that how can you heal somebody? How can you hold, not like you're doing the healing, quote unquote, but how can you hold the space, I guess, for their healing if so much of your stuff is in the room because you haven't done your own work to see what's yours? Does that make sense that I articulate that well? <laughs> Beautifully. And I will piggyback on that. And I spent a significant amount of time training. I thought I was going to be Freud with my couch and my pipe. Um, I thought I was going to go into the psychoanalytic field. And with that, we had a similar requirement. Um, I didn't go through the entire training. So I didn't go through the five or seven years that it would have added up to of my own hours on the mm -hmm. couch, though wow. 
group work. I was not only on a couch. I was in a group therapy session where we would be processing. And so while obviously a lot of people who have heard my work have heard me speak out against one aspect of that training model, which is the blank slate, Mm -hmm. be no person in the room. Um, while I don't believe that's necessarily, you know, the, I don't think anything in extreme is our, where our answers lie. So I always took issue with that. And actually some of my supervisors took issue with how I looked (laughs) and how I was a little bit more humorous. And I didn't really give three to five utterances. Mm -hmm. Like I should have, I gave 10, whatever I'm joking, (laughs) but being serious. So the other side of that blank slate is incredible value Mm because the, the internal work of it is learning how to be the clinician that's having, that doesn't like what the client said, that my own wound was touched in that moment. And I have two choices. I can react from that state of consciousness and reactivity and make it about me and me reacting from that older place. Or I can hold space for that very real reaction. My pain is still real in that room and I can expand my consciousness. This is what I call dual consciousness. Mm -hmm. And then train, you know, from a trained perspective, I can reply from a different, more conscious mindset as the clinician in the room. So the value of my blank slate training, I just so happen to be a human who my own condition patterns in my family allowed me to really excel at being that blank slate and that morph, you know, that chameleon, whatever you need, I'm there. Mm -hmm. And like, (laughs) I said, I don't think that extreme is super helpful because the disservice that it did to my soul, right? That other aspect of my being was I wasn't expressing myself. I was Mm -hmm. who everyone else wanted me to be. And I wasn't to that imbalance, right? To my own soul's disservice. However, like I said, the other side of that is I think the work that you're referencing, Vanessa, which I believe is incredibly important, which is learning how to contain our own personal experiences and not allow that. And this goes, in my opinion, outside the clinician room too. This is in all of our relationships because we're all doing that to everyone we're relating to, including just our general outside external environment all day long. Yeah. Right. So interesting. I feel like what you're saying is so alive right now, Nicole. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sitting with so many clients right now who are in deep struggle with family members, partners, people who feel differently than they do in this really challenging moment in our history politically. And, you know, um, I was telling Vanessa, I was sitting with a couple last night who like believe something very different politically. And, um, you know, we were really just sort of digging in a little bit to like, what is the meaning though that you are making of this person having a different experience of the world than you, right? Like if we can articulate the meaning, it sort of takes away some of the power internally, some of the charge that I'm holding around what this means, right? Like um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm deep in fear, right? And when I'm in fear, I'm not even thinking rationally about what action I want to take next. And I feel like collectively, there is just so much of that right now. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this moment, I guess. 100%. For many of us, I mean, fear, why I call it trauma brain, trauma body, and talk so much about an expanded definition of trauma, because I truly believe most of us are living in some degree of both of the kind of trauma brain, trauma body connection, mm-hmm. is many of us are reacting day in and day out, moment in and moment out from fear. Mm-hmm. And our nervous system, like I said, outside of our awareness is priming us to see threats everywhere and we fall out of regulation and then our energetic dysregulation affects everyone that our energy fields come into contact with throughout our day. 
further disrupting, dysregulating the whole system, micro to macro, and mm-hmm. down we go. And the pandemic that all of us are living was the initial, you know, kind of descent into a complete and utter disruption into fear, losing financial security, losing, I mean, just the, the political climate, you know, in terms of Black lives and the endless violence that's continuously present. I mean, the list goes on. Right. So fear, fear is so at the top of what's governing our reactions Mm -hmm. and it is making us reactive and there's an evolutionary um process i should say that happens when we are in a fear state so i talk a lot about evolution Mm -hmm. um because it drives a lot of the way our physical body at least works and responds and our our you know it is is primarily geared our nervous system in particular to keep us alive to keep us you know out of threat to keep us safe in mm-hmm. a sense. And so when we are fearful, our physical body's organism survival, I'm being really simplistic again, is the number one priority, which means that our interpersonal relationships as in even the most prized, loved, dear other to us becomes a non-entity because mm-hmm. they now become a possible further threat to our survival. We become very kind of mono-focused, me, right. my survival. And this is really confusing because, and I, I'll, I'll share from my own personal experience, I know how many times I've said mean things. I've done mean things, hurtful things that I don't mean when I'm in that reactive state because all yes. that matters in that moment is regaining my sense of control and safety. Mm-hmm. And so that has been for me at the expense of very, really dear loved ones at the time. And a lot of us, I think, have lived that and feel very shameful after the fact, mm-hmm. which is why I'm always talking about the underlying interconnectedness and how all of those pieces right, contribute to what we're seeing. So when we're in fear, as many of us are living chronically, we almost cannot care really about anyone else mm. fully. Yeah. And, and there's some, there's something about, I think what we're seeing, it's weird because it's happening in parallel. Um, where there's something that I'm watching happen, which is this as a society, you know, people, we are all living to your point in this state of fear. And I think so much of what we're doing and acting out of is coming from that place from survival to your point. And simultaneously, whether it's the same people doing both or whether it's a whole other subset of people, I don't know yet. Um, there's this movement in like self-healing, right? There's this movement in, um, understanding the self and wellness and all of these things towards healing. And so it's fascinating to me to watch them happening in parallel at the same time. You're getting this expansion and this contraction going on together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I feel such compassion, I think. And I, that's what I try my best to instill with clients is like come, continually coming back to yourself with compassion, understanding that you're acting from a very animalistic place. And I guess that both things can be true, right? Like you can be acting out of fear or you could have acted out of fear. Maybe you said something or did something that you're very ashamed of and you're still trying to grow, and you're still in this place of learning and expanding and all of these things. And so if you can hold the space that both of those can be true, you can give yourself compassion, which then also means you can probably come back to that person that you might've said something very nasty to, own it, apologize, and maybe work to get deeper in the relationship once that fear part of your brain has been kind of turned back off. Mm -hmm. 
that word and that three letter word that you said a couple mm. times, A-N-D, mm. is one of the most simple yet most complicated words and mm-hmm. embodiment practices. Because yeah. I think a lot of times, a lot of the things that I'm sure you guys meet this too, we can talk concepts, we can talk theory, we can give tools, right. we can even give the how to use these tools. That's a large different experience and living and doing and acting and right. So, you know, I think a lot of times that that it is the the doing of it where where the the value and and the learning comes mm-hmm. yeah and and then finding and, so incorporating what i meant to say about that with the and learning how to be the and learning how to hold the space yes. for the and learning and i believe vanessa that it begins inward first yes. right the more we can hold the and for ourselves and offer ourselves compassion then mm. by extension, we become able to view others in their and state too. Right. And it's expanding that consciousness. It's seeing that, that we are activated, different parts of ourselves are activated that come with different reactions and emotions and ways of being in the world. And not any one of them is who we are. And I think mm-hmm. that's the real teaching here, right? We are so much more than these very, let's bring it all full circle, than these very limited ways of being that most of us have been operating right. in. Mm. Right. Yeah. And if we can look at that, going back to what Danae was saying about this time in history, right? Politically, it's like, I can, if I can hold myself with that and then I can look at somebody, you know, like my mom who has very different political beliefs than me. And I can look at her and I can say, I 100% wholeheartedly disagree with this. And she's an amazing mother and an amazing grandmother. Right. And they, they both can exist at the same Mm -hmm. time. And so I don't make her a bad person. I don't make her the enemy. Um, I just can hold the tension of those two opposites and they can both be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm. This is a, you know, much easier said than done. Yeah, type of thing. I mean, <laughs> it's a daily practice. Of us, this, yes, this is the journey and we have to honor and remember because a lot of us, this, this, this tendency to not do the and to do the, but the black or white mm-hmm. comes from very real legitimate lived experiences wounding, right. you know, times and places where it wasn't safe, where we didn't have our own space for our own and where compassion wasn't, you know, modeled or afforded to us where we weren't given the tools to self-regulate. So we did fall into dysregulation and overwhelm further triggering this very black and white, either or way of being right. So understanding again, where this all came from um, and that all of this for so many of us are these early, early, early adaptations where we're all done the best that we can in the environments in which we were living. And now, you know, given the environments in which we're currently living, trying to empower ourselves through small daily choices to create small daily change. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just thinking, Nicole, is what I love about your work and even the way that you just spoke about Anne's statements is that you're obviously an incredibly intelligent woman, but I feel that you really have this gift for like simplifying really complex um, concepts, right? Like you will say things in a way like, you know, the nuance of who we are and our traumas and our experiences, and you'll sort of say it in like, you know, just an and statement um, around like, yes, this can be true and right and um i just think it makes this work that we do so much more approachable and i think that's why it has resonated with so many people you know mm-hmm. thank you for saying that i appreciate that and and i agree i think that for a long time our whole field in and of itself was doing a disservice to itself because these did remain very conceptual right mm. very out there i mean whether or not you could even understand them ourselves half the time no one really kind of 
translate it. What does these things mean practically? What does an ego look like in the day to day? How do I show up consciously? All of these are just concepts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, while I I show up each day since I signed online onto Instagram and I put up the content, I I definitely know that the incredible ever expanding community of self healers is a reflection of the universal resonance of it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's nothing I'm saying is is new, hasn't been said before. Again, it's, it's, I'm a different messenger. I'm putting my flair on it, my language. I do simplify and I think it helps make things more practically applicable. That's why I'm also now very careful because I know in those simplifications, um, nuances can be left and humans are creatures of nuance. And I don't believe in any, which is why you'll never hear me speak of a universal one size fits all journey. Yeah. I talk about universal principles. I said, yes, consciousness, foundational, physiological balance in our bodies, more or less foundational for many of us. There's no though universal protocol that I believe embodies the nuance that is human. However, for teaching, for understanding, I think there is value in the simplicity, but that doesn't mean I'm explaining away, like I said earlier, the nuances or the contextual differences. Um, What we're really understanding is the patterns and the teaching Mm -hmm. moments and how can I use something that was maybe not understandable in a way that can create more either awareness or change in my current moment. Right. And there's also like, there's a coming down off of the pedestal in that as well. Right. So I think for so many years in the field of mental health, it was always like starts with Freud, right? Like I'm the expert, you're the patient, I know, and I give you information and you learn. Um, And I think that that's been a huge shift. And I think you're kind of at the forefront of that as well, which is, I think what my partner, John always says, it's like coming with you instead of at you, right? It's like, we've seen such a move towards this transparency where I am also on this journey with you. I am also doing this work and I'm going to come with you on this journey versus saying, I know better. Um, Because who does? None of us do. Absolutely. And I think this applies again, and this isn't, this applies to all fields, you know, in in medical, mental wellness, et cetera, though it's not me excluding, this isn't a, but you know, so Mm -hmm. don't, right. It's gather, get all Mm -hmm. of the perspectives, expose yourself, seek out multiple quote unquote Mm -hmm. experts, Mm -hmm. get all of their different opinions based on their experiences and lessons. and, And then Go back to your safe home base, try on for size, what works for you. That's what self-healing means for me. It's that level of empowerment. It's not to the exclusion. It's definitely not every human is an island. I actually believe quite the opposite. I believe that we are all completely disconnected from each other due to those imbalanced, conditioned ways we've been living. However, I believe at our core, we need humans. So again, it's how do we empower us? to find the path, the avenues, the help, the support, the experts that align with our journeys a bit better than I think the one size fits all traditional, I'm the expert above all system historically has dared for us. Yes. Mm. So well put. Mm. So I I do want to hear a little bit about your book and, you know, sort of what you're working on now, if you would, I know this has been a really unprecedented year. I'm wondering like what your day-to-day has been looking like this year, Nicole. It's just been a journey, put it this way, an evolution. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. this year with the the unique aspects. I moved cross country, you know, our whole, our whole country is under a very unique situation. I mean, there's just a lot that is different. Um, Though for me, it feels like it's just been a completely evolving journey since I, since I stepped foot in working in this new way. This year in particular is super exciting because in about two years now, since I knew the book was 
going to be a thing in a future. And so now knowing it's only a couple months until it exists in the world is so exciting for me because the book, uh, How to Do the Work, is going to be the first kind of place really where the whole, everything we pretty much have been talking about from the whole kind of theory of holistic wellness to these daily practical tools to understand ourselves better as humans and create the change that I believe so many of us have been desperately searching for. This will be the first space where it's kind of the full comprehensive work of it. Uh, the gift of Instagram, of course, and I will continue to utilize that gift has been not only to build the community, but to begin to have these conversations. But you know, of right. course, the squares in the very limited way that you can present information um, and not as unified of a, a theory or a structure will be what this book will now offer. And obviously, there's just different ways we can live with the book, work with the book. I'm super excited that the book has actually really gratefully been picked up in a lot of different internationally. So it'll be mm -hmm. translated because I know for a lot of us, because there are a lot of international members, having things in, you know, native languages are going to be really impactful, especially yeah. for this work. So that's another piece of the book. So for me, it's been the fruition really of all of this thinking and imagining and conceptualizing and formulating and, you know, learning how to teach toward this model of holistic wellness. This book mm -hmm. will be the home base, really, uh, the, the jumping off point for, for the work, really. Yeah. Mm. So love it. we're really excited it's pre-ordered um, <laughs> well, well so thank you i appreciate that i i'm so excited so it feels like it's been such a long time coming and i I, sure. I i i will believe it's real when it's a book in my hand that's kind of what it feels like that i know it's coming it's coming it's coming still out there oh. i love it well before we let you go we do have some questions some lightning round questions that we always ask all of our guests um, and so the first one is what breaks your heart? Uh, what breaks my heart? People not living, mm. you know, not the, the idea of, you know, life not lived. And I was life not lived for, for a very, very, very long time. And I'm still embodying how to fully live it. I mean, there's still a lot of weight, a lot of healing that I'm doing though. I think that would be, yeah, let me just ask. Yeah. Break my heart. Who have been your greatest mentors, teachers, um, thought leaders, people that you sort of draw inspiration from? Oh gosh, so, so, so many. Um, really impacted by the work of the Joe Dispenza and Greg Braden, really everyone who introduced me to the power of the subconscious. Mm -hmm. um, that's really powerful for me because obviously the other side of that and all of the Eckhart Tolle's and Michael Singer's the next question is, what do you do or how do you find yourself in a state of flow? So what do you do when all of a sudden you just blink and six hours have gone by? <laughs> what gets me? Yeah. What gets you flow? there? Uh, when I'm in a, when I'm creating, when I'm really into the project, the course, the thing I'm pulling, putting mm -hmm. out, I can, hours yeah. can go by. So for me, this last weekend, I'm a, I have a weekend of respite in, it was the book. I was in a final stage of editing and I can really go down a, a vortex and come out seven hours later. Like, Where was I? <laughs> yeah. Vortex is the perfect word. And then this is the big one, Nicole, what is your favorite food? <laughs> ah, what is my favorite food? I'm going to give two and I don't know why both are my <laughs> oh my mind right now. Um, pizza and ice cream. Uh, <laughs> I think I want a pizza ice cream party. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you're I an East Coaster, so I would expect pizza. That, yeah. Yes. 
Anything, I'm Italian too, so anything yeah. that has melted cheese and a bread <laughs> product, even though gluten isn't the best for my tummy, I'm all on board for it. And I still eat it, even though I shouldn't have it all the time. And yeah, ice cream, I pretty much can't and won't turn down an ice cream. <laughs> it's Ever. all about balance, right? I mean, yeah. I, I could not agree with those more wholeheartedly. Now that you're on the West Coast, we'll have to get together for some pizza and ice cream. <laughs> I love um, it. I'm there. I'm there. Well, Nicole, you know, I just, I feel really grateful actually to have this opportunity to say thank you to you because I feel yeah. like you've just been such an incredible leader, um, certainly for people in our field without even knowing you, you know, to yeah. so many of us, um, your work has really been like a permission slip to be honest about what resonates and what is working in terms of working with clients and that, yeah. you know, there is so much possibility for healing when we sort of tap into our innate wisdom. So I'm just really grateful for you being in the world frankly because the way you show up well, is such an inspiration I'm, thank you um Danae and Vanessa seriously for saying that I mean in all honesty going online for me was symbolic as a human and as a professional around this concept of I think what I heard what my mind heard you say in, in sharing that with me tonight was in speaking my own truth mm -hmm. you know for the first time sharing my own story of, of healing without really knowing what was going to go with it in terms of people using the tools and you know it wasn't actually my diabolical agenda like i know a lot of people <laughs> like to frame it as being right but that for me was hard mm -hmm. i'm not someone who speaks truth i'm someone who tells you what you want to hear because yeah. that to me made my life more comfortable and conflict free so that you know as just a human and then furthermore, as a practitioner, as someone who understood the field and heard and knows what many of us learn. And I was fearful um, in a lot of ways on both of those you know, aspects of myself, um, concerned as many of us are about what will other people think, you know, especially mm -hmm. the practitioners out there. And while, like we were saying, when we began this talk, when systems change and, you know, um, structures are, are being rebuilt and paradigms are shifting, yes, there are different levels of threat and reaction. However, overwhelmingly, I've had the support and I've indebted forever um, to all of the other humans who are living this journey, practitioners who are living and speaking their truths in this way. I gain just as much support. Um, just knowing that you guys are existing in the world and thinking in the same way that I am, um, that I'm sure that I'm able to offer you. So my gratitude goes right back to you both very sincerely and wholeheartedly. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much, that. Nicole. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Appreciate, wow. I appreciate you giving us the time that. and just connecting. Yeah. It's, it means a lot. It really does. Yeah. Mean a lot it means to a us, lot. So yeah. And any, any way that I can continue to support you both um, and your missions in this world, please know that I'm here and I'm a big, big fan. Oh, thank thank you. you, Nicole. Hey, everybody. So if you're wanting to dig a little bit deeper into the conversations that we're having, we are both a part of a community called the Tat Lab. Some of the topics we lead groups in exploring are how to navigate the experience of singlehood after an expired relationship, reparenting yourself, and breaking down codependency from a 101 class to boundaries to perfectionism and self-worth. And if you're curious, you can go to tat-lab.com not only check us out there, but also all the other awesome therapists and coaches that lead groups on a ton of different topics. So we hope to see you guys there. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.